Welcome back to Africa Knows. As you can maybe hear in my voice, COVID has finally caught up with me. But luckily, Gaddafi sent me this very interesting conversation with Professor Yusuf Adamu to listen to. Yusuf Adamu is a professor of medical geography at Bayer University in Kano, uh, but also an author and a poet and a lot of other things besides. Their conversation covers a lot of ground, too, from Nigerian academia to house literature and gender equity. And it's even supported by a soundtrack of an air conditioner in the background. Here is Professor Adamu. When I was an undergraduate, uh, I became very interested in reading, write reading. And uh, I began to see that uh, based on the, the, the teachers who taught me, based on my experience with them, uh, some of them somehow uh, become almost like friends. We discuss ideas with them, and I begin to see a future in, in the academics. So <clears throat> I remember when I was to choose my research project, I look at the, I have my own interests, but because I, I have already decided, I and a colleague of mine, that we are going for our master's, I choose the teacher who they said is the most difficult to with students, who, who, who handles students very well, who is very meticulous. I choose his uh, title, uh, my project is in his area, so that he will supervise me, whatever the trouble, whatever the suffering I was, let me, let me experience before I go for my master's. And uh, when we finished our first degree, we, two of us and, I, and my colleague who is currently a director in uh, NTA, decided to go to University of Ibadan for a master's degree. He went to Lagos, I went to Ibadan. And the intention was when we finish, we join the academics. And uh, when we finish, we came back. Um, I was uh, applying into a number of places, including when I was doing my NYC at the just established uh, College of Education. Uh, which later became East College of Education. But at that time, they said they are not doing geography, they have only social studies, so they could not employ. So when I, I went back to my master, when I came back, my father took me to a friend of his, who he said will help me to get a job. I said, I want to be in the university, but he said, let's go and see that man. He's a barista MB Wali. We went to him, I gave him my papers. When he sees that I have a master's degree, he said to my father, this boy should go to the university. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, luckily he, he knows um, the then vice chancellor, he sent him my letter with my papers. When I came, the vice chancellor sent me to, because I, I specialize in medical geography, he sent me to medicine. The medicine said I cannot do that. They have no use for me in medicine. Then he sent me back to geography, and then they interviewed me, and finally I got the appointment. So it's like a, a dream. Exactly. Uh, but at the background, it was like uh, the dream of my father, who, who was not able to go to school, Western school, because at that time, uh, in, in, in his uh, hometown, his Ahe, um, 
they are missionaries because they are missionaries. And they always come and ask my father, his father, let us take Muhammad to school. It's, it's, it's a father will say, Muhammad is already attending a school. <laughs> In the long run, his aunt said there is no way he should go to school. So they refused to allow him to go to school. Instead, <clears throat> he began to go to the mission school and stay outside in the window. That is how, how he learned how to read and write. Oh. And he has that, that pen exactly. That, exactly. that he was not allowed to go to school. And he always tell us the story, I want yeah. you to go to school, I want you this and this and this. Yes. So that helped me to, to, to become very closely interested in the scholarship. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, uh, from what is your research interest? So, my research interest or my research area? Yeah, your research area. So, my, <laughs> I'm in geography, I'm in medical geography. Okay. And uh, my main research area is maternal health. Okay. Uh, because my master's uh, thesis was on uh, eclampsia and vasculogenic fistula. I look at eclampsia and vasculogenic fistula in kind of the geography of the of the two diseases, which are very common, uh, VBF is very common in, in Kano, most part of northern Nigeria and south southern part of the country. And eclampsia was the leading cause of maternal death in Kano. And then when I come for my <coughs> PhD, initially I wanted to to further my PhD on BBF because at that time it was a major topical issue. <coughs> And uh, locally, I attended a conference in Zaria on BBF. And uh, I wrote a paper based on my master's work. And when I went there, almost most of the people there are doctors, are physicians. And they begin to ask questions. What has a geographer got to do with, uh, with medical, with medical studies, with yeah. BBF? They started asking this question. Exactly. They, they, they almost... Um, intimidated me and frustrated me to say this is the area I have no business and I insisted that I have I have something to do with that. Now luckily for me the the father of uh, O and G in northern Nigeria at least uh, Professor Kesley Harrison was there. I met him, I gave him my paper, he looked at the paper and he patted me on the back and said this is a very good approach. It's a new perspective. I, I like this. Uh, I will share with you some of my papers that I published on, on maternal health. And then he sent me about 10 of his papers. And when I read the papers, I decided to leave BBF and look at the whole issue of maternal mortality. And, and that, I think, has helped me a lot in, in deciding to go for maternal mortality. Yes, uh, but from the beginning, <clears throat> my interest in, in maternal health was started uh, when I was an undergraduate. Usually, when I go to the library, I don't read geography books. I look for other things yeah. to read. History, archaeology, astronomy, all, all kind of things that I feel I want to know about. So I also go to the serial section. There, uh, I came across um, a newsletter it was called uh, Synergy, it's on health. And when I read the newsletter, I saw 
They said uh, there's another newsletter called Save Motherhood. There's another newsletter that is a book. All this, if you are interested, you write on the request free. And I will write, and they will send me. And I, within that period, I come to in touch with the Save Motherhood newsletter. <clears throat> and I began to read on ONG locally, also coincidentally. My, my wife is also a midwife, a nurse midwife. Some issues, well, I don't, which I don't understand, I ask her. And when she comes back from work, she tells me about the issues that, that are happening yes, in the yes. hospital. So I become interested. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it, it was easy for me to, to join the area as an academic uh, uh, researcher. It's, yes, yes. Uh, so, what are the research questions, topics, and methods you find interesting? I always want research questions that challenge the existing idea. Okay. Yes, uh, somehow uh, we seem to, to buy any, any research outcome, any new idea, any finding that was published uh, or is published particularly outside the country mm-hmm. and uh, at times people don't want to challenge don't want to ask more questions and what i read in, in research in science is we always ask questions whatever is there yes this is an established fact but you can still question it again and again and again <clears throat> to make sure that yes it is a fact, like, like in science, you start with a hypothesis, you now go to theory, and then finally you go to laws, and even laws of science are challenged. So, so I like questions that will, uh, research questions that will challenge existing knowledge, so that uh, we either uh, reestablish it, or we bring another, another perspective. Yes. yes. What do you think of the Nigerian academia? Nigerian academia? Yeah. Talk to you on the Nigerian academia. I'm, I'm, I'm one of them, and uh, yes. there are a lot of things are going on in the Nigerian academia. Now, if we go back to the 70s and 80s, uh, and look at what Nigerian scholars have done, uh, we'll be very proud of them because even without without funding, without uh, the modern facilities, even access access to information that like we now have journals, we have internet, we can access any any material. And how how much they have contributed in in, in promoting research, in promoting knowledge. Uh, I think that that is something I, I always look at. And that is sometimes always when I look at it, I I always feel like, despite what the the, the modest achievement we have made today, I always feel like we are we are yet to to start. When we read the work of uh, people like Bala Usman, people like Madia Adamu and Abdullah and all others, when you see that they are the depth of their contribution, you realize that uh, at the moment we are actually. Uh, just tickling the surface. Uh, so, uh, as at the moment, I know there are a lot of uh, challenges in the, in the university system, but uh, on our part as, as scholars, 
really most of us are not um, truthful to the calling of, of our profession. Uh, there is this uh, uh, new bug of uh, promotion. Uh, people are more interested in promotion than in scholarship. Uh, you will see uh, everybody wants just publish, just publish or perish. But we need to to publish works that will stand the test of time. Uh, not just works that uh, if they are published. Sometimes when you when you read, read some some journal articles, when when you are assessing people for professorship or that kind of, when you read some papers, you you question as how how was this paper published? Because uh, people are in a hurry. Sometimes somebody will, will write a paper and then will just go and uh, change the introduction and then you write another paper, another title. By the time you read the two, along the way, you will be reading the same, the same document. Sometimes uh, when we publish our thesis, like I'm in geography, there are people in, in physical geography, maybe somebody will go and look at the water pollution, for example, or soil pollution, where he will be able to identify many elements and, and, and he will start publishing, if you work on five elements, you start publishing five papers, each element one paper, and in the end you wouldn't get the, the picture, exactly. the right picture you are looking for. But despite this, there are, there are still uh, academics who uh, true to their calling, old ones uh, also, the young ones, even among the young ones, uh, there, are, there are academics who are, who are very serious, and when you read their works, you will see really that they are contributing to, to knowledge. So uh, we are in a very confused situation. Uh, sometimes we get confused between uh, quality of scholarship on promotion. People sometimes confuse, if they say you are a professor, it's, it's assumed that uh, you, you know what you are supposed to know. You have the right skills that you are supposed to have. But, but in some cases, it is not like that. There are even now a new generation of what we call migrant academics who move from one university to another. They are in all the university. They are graduates or assistant lecturers, they will publish one or two papers, any university is open, they will now go and say, I want to be appointed as lecturer one because I have publication. So they have skipped lecturer two. After they get lecturer one, they did some little work, they will now go to another university. And within a very short time, yeah. <clears throat> they will become professors. And, and, and this is very disturbing because it is not about rank is one thing, Yes, the university say you do this, we, we promote you. Yes, it's one thing. But what is most important is the quality of the work, the, the scholarly contribution that people are, are given. So these are some of the issues from our own part. But also, there are also challenges the way the system works. Yes, uh, <clears throat> to do a good research, you need funding. You need financial support to do it. You also need time. Nigerian academics have no annual leave. 
I've been working here for almost 26 years now also, but I have never enjoyed an annual leave. It was just recently I realized that I can I can apply and keep my leave so that if I accumulate it, I can I can go. We don't have research leave and we have <clears throat> so many programs because uh, every department is trying to to be relevant, want to succeed, want to still be uh, relevant. So we have uh, undergraduate programs, at the postgraduate level we have professional programs, we have academic programs, and, and, and we also have a lot of students to supervise. So when you look at an administration, when you look at all this, it will be very difficult for people to do a very serious scholarship. And in addition, the, you are a lecturer in the university, but you are also, uh, your welfare is uh, very poor, you are struggling to uh, make ends meet. That's also another, another problem. So these are all challenges facing Nigerian academics. But as academics, if you choose to be in the academics, then you stay and do what you are supposed to do. That's what I feel people should do. If you choose, okay, I want to be in the academies, I have consciously decided I want to be, because up to 90s, whoever you see in the academics, they are there for their own choice. But most recently, they, from 2010 up to this time, there are people who are there maybe waiting for another opportunity. <laughs> or because at, at that time, they assume the salary is better than in other places yeah. and other, other considerations. So <clears throat> you have to have the, the passion to remain in the academics. Exactly. And that is it, yes. Exactly. yes. From, uh, how do you think that Nigerian universities have developed over the decades? Well, uh, we, we can say there is no development in the Nigerian university system because Number one, uh, there is expansion in the, in the number of universities. There is uh, expansion in the number of programs that we are teaching. There are also uh, uh, expansion in the number of uh, academic staff we have. Uh, even facilities uh, are not what they are supposed to be, but they are much better than, than they used to be, at least from here where I am in Bayro, for example, offices are there, there are more labs, there are more um, uh, facilities, research equipment, people are more conversant with new techniques of analysis, particularly in, <clears throat> in sciences, statistical, and so on and so forth. So uh, on, that, on that side, there is a, it's, it's an improvement. But on the other side, there are also uh, problems Number one, universities are supposed to be universal. Somebody is saying it's a universal city. So universities are supposed to be uh, uh, heterogeneous and open. We are supposed to have universities whose people coming from <clears throat> different parts of the world in the universities. Recently, Abdurazal Gorna uh, won the Nobel Prize. And UK is quick to to congratulate him because he was a staff in the UK in the 80s. Now, can the UK attract that kind of staff now? 
Look at uh, ABU in the, in the 70s, the, the caliber of uh, academics that are in ABU. Can ABU attract those kind of stuff? No. That's one issue. The other issue, I said, the issue of diversity. Universities are becoming uh, so uh, exclusive now. Every university will say, okay, uh, this university is located in so so place, so we want as many <coughs> staff to come from the, around the area. <coughs> when it comes to the appointment of the vice chancellor, it has now also become a, a kind of a state regional. If you look at the University of Ibadan, look at the trouble they have went to because they want somebody from Ibadan to. Now, what is the, the benefit of having somebody from there? What, what, what does it add? Look at Bayer University. Bayer University are very lucky because if you look at major contributors to the development of Bayer University, they are not from Kano. People who have made serious contributions, they are not from Kano. So, so what people should be looking at is uh, quality. And uh, this issue of diversity is, is important, but it's even more critical in state universities where uh, everybody is from the state. And where, uh, if you are not from the state, you, you, you are disadvantaged because of some, some reasons. Now, <clears throat> another issue is, uh, I think from the beginning, maybe, there has always been a, a, a kind of, uh, uh, what do they call it, disconnect between universities and their communities between universities and the government. In the past 60s, 70s, 80s, even partly in the 90s, you know, when university people talk, the government listens, particularly during the military, government listens. And they, 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 they give their input to issues of national concern. Uh, but nowadays, we have missed that. I think from 1999 to date, the, the government and the universities are parallel. And uh, uh, secondly, uh, most universities have no research focus. Now, universities are supposed to address problems of their immediate community and their country and, and the world. They're supposed to provide ideas that will change the world, that will solve problems. But if you look at our universities, what will you say is their focus? Like every university you go now, I assure you this, if you can you can test it, go to go to any university and ask the vice chancellor what is his staff doing? What are they working on? He doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows. Even the head of the department doesn't know what his staff are doing. The only time you will know is during promotion. Somebody will bring huge, I have done this, I have done this. But nobody knows what everybody is doing. And, and universities are supposed to say, okay, uh, while you have freedom to, to do your own research, the university is interested in uh, addressing certain issues. Like the local funding will provide, the third one funding should be attached to particular issues. But, but nowadays, even third fund, somehow it's, it's moving toward everything in science, science. What is that in science? In Nigeria, 
I'm sure in the next few years, uh, those of uh, people in humanities, more in geography, we are lucky we can be anywhere. Exactly. But, but, but <laughs> other people in humanities, yeah. they, may, they may likely stop getting scholarship, they will start getting uh, funding, and everybody is saying science. Now, what do we contribute in science? When you contribute something in science, in places where they know they are doing, all the researchers are geared towards solving some problems. Either government has problem, defense, like in the United States, security, <coughs> or private sector, who uh, uh, want to sell their, their goods, or who want to um, invent or discover anything, something like that. They, they, they put their money there. But in Nigeria, science, when you say science, everybody say, I'm in chemistry, I'm in biology, I'm in medicine. If you submit a proposal, <coughs> you get it. Recently, <coughs> we, we submit um, a proposal to touch funds. And what we want to look at was uh, iron smelting, ancient iron smelting. Now, uh, we know in, in, in Jigawa State, in Amariawa, there's an iron smelting site. And Patrick Dylan has done some work. And it was dated, I think, about 4,000 years BC or something like that. Now, uh, geography uh, staff, we, we went to the Ura for a field study. We went somewhere and we discovered another iron smelting site who nobody is talking about. And, and, and the other iron smelting sites around these areas. Now, we wanted to, <clears throat> it's a kind of multidisciplinary studies we have. Uh, people from geography, from geology, from history, from archaeology, and we want to look at that. The, what what have our grand grandparents or ancestors been doing? What contribution have they made? And 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 our our proposal was declined because it is not science, it is not in chemistry, it is not in biology. You understand it's history, archaeology. So what is the history of history and archaeology? You see, so we don't have focus. And uh, even even in what we teach, when I was in uh, the strategic planning unit of the university, I once invited people from uh, social sciences, humanities, and then I think agri. And I was uh, proposing that we should be teaching courses on Kano. This university is located in Kano. Now. Do you people in the economy, do you teach a course on the economy of Kano? Paul Science, do you teach a course on politics in Kano? And, and I, think, I think history, you have a course on Kano. Yeah, we have it. Uh, only history exactly. and geography exactly. have a course on Kano. And nobody is teaching anything. And what, what, what led to that was uh, there was a time there was a, a fire outbreak in Kanchukwari. And uh, I called. Uh, Sagagi, but Sagagi then was the head of the department. I said, uh, Sagagi, who is the authority on contemporary Allah? <coughs> he was quiet for a long time, he was silent, and then he said, Nobody. Nobody. In the business admin. In the business admin. Now, now <laughs> nobody is studying contemporary in Kano. Nobody is studying Sabangari. Nobody is studying Kurumi uh, market. Nobody is studying all this market. And Kano is the center of commerce. Now, what are we doing? What is biodiversity contributing to the development of economy, of kind of commercial activities in Kano? What are we doing? 
So we need to have focus. We need to be addressing issues. They said there is a lot of diverse in Kano. What role will Bayer University play in addressing that issue? I think sometimes ago, the 14th area of Kano, they have started something with scholars in the UK. Yeah, they exactly. met, I think, some, some, you know, a couple of times. Yeah. They have done to develop something. I think it's, it's now history. So, so these are, are issues which you know, our government should should say, okay, universities, we went to you to help us address these problems. Give us ideas because that's the only thing universities will give ideas. We fund it, and we make sure that there is a linkage. But all Nigerian universities have no linkage with government. <clears throat> all uh, research centers we have in Nigeria. I'm not, even they are, even those that are owned by government have no link with the government. And there is a kind of serious uh, distrust between uh, government and uh, universities. In 1993, 1993, when I was doing my master's, through that newsletter, I said motherhood newsletter, I, I, I found that because I realized that a lot of deaths are coming from eclampsia. Now, I, I, I saw a, a material that they said they have discovered a new treatment of eclampsia. They are using diasperm. They said they are now using magnesium sulfate. It is more effective and faster in saving the lives of women. I made a copy. I gave a copy to the head of ONG, then at Murtala. That's why I was collecting my data. I sent a copy to the Ministry of Health. And Nobody has replied up to this date. After I finished my PhD work, I, I published some papers. I, I, I took all the papers. I submitted to the Ministry of Health to say this is what I found on maternal health in Kano. At that time, it has the highest maternal mortality in the world. Maternal mortality ratio in the world. Kano also had the highest in the world. 2,420 per 100,000. Nobody, nobody, no, no, no existing reports, Kano has the highest. But nobody even replied me. In 2007, I, I received a call from one Dr. Andrew, who was working with the Population Council, New York. He said, they have seen my paper, and based on my findings, they found that eclampsia is the major cause of mortality in Kano, most of northern Nigeria. And based on that, they are now intervening. They are... Uh, 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 communicating with state governments introduce the use of magnesium sulfate. Now, because he's a white man exactly. from New York, yeah. they accepted it. I was invited to Kaduna. The wife of uh, Nama Disambo, I mean, Nama Disambo was there, and I was introduced at the researcher who made the discovery. I was honored, they clapped for me, and so on. And they have started using magnesium sulfate. Mm -hmm. And now, the, if you look at the data, the number of women that are dying for eclampsia is grass drastically reduce it. Now, this is what universities should be doing. Exactly. Exactly. But this is something which uh, is, is becoming an enigma and uh, I don't know how we, we would uh, address this issue. Yeah. Yes. What is your take around this debate on decolonizing the academia? I think it's, uh, it's something that was started long ago. And along the way, we abandoned it. You know, the, the, the demise of the Soviet Union 
has contributed a lot in killing, debating the social sciences. In the past, there is always those two camps, the capitalists and the socialists, and that, that leaving the, particularly the social sciences, everybody provides his perspective and defend that my perspective is better. And at some point, we have the, the Islamic perspective. People who come say we are Muslim, there's also Islamic perspective. Now, those are important, but uh, all this, I think, have uh, declined now. And uh, we have gone back to other people setting the agenda for research, setting the agenda for public discourse, setting the agenda for almost everything. Now, if you look at research in both social sciences, humanities and sciences, physical and social sciences, who fund research? They said, uh, uh, this proverb, uh, who, the one who pressed the, the piper dictates the tune. Now, most of the grants you see, when you see a grant on this, on this, on this, there's already agenda attached to it. We want you to work on so, 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 and we have money for it. Now, since uh, our governments in the developing country are, are not interested, scholars will go and look for those grants, and then they will work on those uh, researches. Sometimes you, 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 you get into conflict with funders. There was a work I did for an NGO, and uh, we did uh, field work, and I, I presented my results. And they said they are not expecting this result. And I said, this is what I found, and I can't change it. So the colonization will start from what do we teach? Our curriculum. Look at our curriculum. What do we teach our students? Are we teaching them what they are supposed to know, what is useful, what is important to them? Or are we depending on others setting the, the, the agenda for us? Even our books, one of you go for accreditation, I often ask people, you see a lot of new books, but you don't even see books from Nigeria. Where are the local authors? You are buying books from, from UK, from US, from India, and all the, the agenda, the perspective, the everything is their own. It's not yours. And you don't even see local books. Either we assume they are not good enough, or there are no, no books because even knowledge production has stopped in Nigerian universities. Journal promotion, journal requirement for promotion has killed book production in Nigerian universities. People no longer write books. Exactly. We only write journal articles to get promoted. Certainly there are inequalities. Okay. Because, uh, as I just said now, uh, issue of uh, learning research is related to the investment in teaching and research by governments. Now, those who invest will, will get more, will do more, will get more. Those who don't invest will always get less. Now, now if you see what is uh, happening between uh, developing countries and developed countries, you can see that developing developed countries are investing, except now countries are now emerging. Countries like like China, like India, like others are investing in in education more than more than most African countries. So that inequality is going to widen unless uh, deliberate effort is made to to reduce it.
Yes. Uh, for, uh, what is your passion outside the ministry of human geography? Uh, medical geography. Medical geography. Yeah. <laughs> so, I am interested in creative writing, uh, poetry, fiction, and even non-fiction writing, but poetry and fiction in particular uh, areas that I'm interested in. I have uh, I published, uh, getting to 20 books, literary books, for poetry, fiction, and, and children's literature in particular. And uh, I've been doing that for a long time. I've won two awards, okay. one in 1990, another one in 2020. The 1991 was on my book, a Hausa book. Uh, it's a novel in Hausa, Duke of Roi. And then the other one was uh, a poetry book in 1990 called Places. It's a poetry book about different places around the world. You start a journey from Kono and you go around the world, from one city to another, going around until you come back to you. Yes, yes. I'm also interested in house studies generally. I, I have published a number of uh, articles in both linguistics and literature. Most recently, I released a book which I co-edited on house across fiction, a reader. And I'm working on the, another one, in Hausa on Hausa Cross Fiction. I'm, I'm interested in astronomy. I have been reading astronomy for for many years since I discovered that there are there are many planets. When our Islamic teacher said, uh, if you do good, God will give you the Jannah and you will have a house that is 70,000 times bigger than the Earth. I asked, at that time, I couldn't believe, I couldn't conceive any place that is bigger than 70,000 for the poorest member. But when I was in the secondary school, I discovered that there are planets. And from that time, I have uh, continued reading. And I've also made a number of, uh, I've not published any work, but I've made a lot of presentations. I'm also interested in Egyptology. Uh, that one was started in 1986. When, yeah, when. <laughs> One of our teachers at Osman Nkwele University, lead professor Hambali Jinju, introduced us to the work of uh, Czech Antidote. And uh, from that time also, I've been, I've been interested, I've been doing a lot of studies. Most recently, I presented uh, a paper on Akhenaten. Yes, yes. I'm interested in history. There are so many things I'm interested in. Yeah, we can do it. No problem. <laughs> yes. I'd like to hear more. Yes. I'm also interested in in the history of science. Yeah. Yes, I'm interested in the history of science uh, because um, I have read uh, uh, The Ascent of Man by Bronowski. I've also read uh, Cosmos by Carl Sagan and many other books like Brief History of Time and others by astronomers and others. So I'm interested in the, in the history of, uh, of science. And uh, I'm also interested particularly in physics. I, I did physics in secondary school, but the the physics I'm interested in is not is not the the, the the mathematical physics. You see, physics to me is the is the mother of sciences. I I, I as a writer I, I imagine I ask a lot of questions. I, I I think most of the time about issues of nature and, and often uh, 
when I, I, I search, look further, I see, okay, this thing I'm thinking about, I was not the first to thought about it. It had been done. There was a time I was asking a, a colleague about darkness. I was asking him, is, is darkness also a matter? Does it have weight? This kind of question, some, some silly kind of weird questions. And uh, so I'm interested in visually when I need to work with my friends in physics, I raise a lot of questions about nature. This I think I, I'm interested in. Yes. As, uh, as an author, what mm. have main challenges uh, you are facing? The major challenge in the beginning was when you write, you can't publish. And later, when you write, you can publish, but you can't sell. People don't read. So, because people don't read, we find it very challenging that when you write a book, in the end, every writer, his greatest ambition is to be read. It's not about making the money that I, I, I sold my book and I got some money. It's good to have your money, money from your labor. But, but the most important issue is to get people to read. Because it was only then that I realized that when they said, when I was growing up, I was writing with my, my friends that we, we are here to change the world. Because we are writers, we can change the world. But at that time, I had no idea that how can writers change the world? But when I read further, I realized that, okay, when you write and people read you, some of them who read you might be in the position of power and you might be able to influence their thinking and their these are the issues. But, but now, people know when you publish a book, uh, you end up giving them free of charge most of the time. Like the first two books I published on the children poetry for, like What Up Life for, What Up Life and other poems, and then my first book of rhymes. Uh, when I published them, I started taking them to to schools. When you go to public primary school, they say we don't buy books here. When you take it to private schools, two, three challenges. Number one, they ask how can how can they how someone write poetry book? So they are used to seeing other names. So like that because most of the people who teach are not are not from here. So like that feeling that this may not be good enough. Number two, they will tell you no, you have to go to the Canon Centers of Education to get a recommendation for the book. When I explain that it is not a set book, it's a supplementary reader. Anybody, you just read it in addition to. Sometimes they, they, they say, okay, you, this is it's now second term, you have to come at the end of uh, third term. So what I did at that time was I will give the two copies to the school free of charge. I say, I give them this my address, in case you want to buy, you can come and see me. Nobody has come to see me up to now. I'm talking about 1995, 1996, 1997. Nobody has come to see me to buy the books. But but one thing I'm happy with is uh, sometimes when you listen to radio programs, you hear children singing the poems, reciting the poems. The poems have now gone around schools. Uh, people come and tell me, I, I like one of my younger brothers said, there's a school close to close to my house, and I used to hear them reciting your poems. Those poems you taught us, and I was saying we were the first to be taught. You understand? So at least 
you get that satisfaction. Exactly. And another issue is uh, online. Now, when you publish online, it has also given us some other other opportunities. There are poems I publish online. At least I've gotten some some money. I've gotten up to I think six seven hundred dollars. Uh, some of the poems have been taken. They have been published in, in textbooks in Norway, in Germany, and and often you see students uh, writing you a letter asking question about your work. What do you mean and other things. That is very gratifying. So, exactly. these are some of the challenges. People don't read. Exactly. But as I told a friend once, as a, as a writer, uh, if you have the gift to write, write. If you have the resources to publish, publish and leave the rest to God. Exactly. I have a friend who we started together when I was undergraduate, he was already teaching. And he published one book with a lot of sweat and he said, I'm not going to do it again. I said, do it. One day you'll get the chance. Exactly. And he refused. Okay. And one day he became a member of the National Assembly. Then he called me and said, I can publish any book now, yeah. but I can't write a book now. Yes. That's <laughs> no time. <laughs> no time. Exactly. Yeah, so this, these are some of, the, some of the issues. There are also issues uh, relating to Critics, you see, sometimes it's, it's normal. All authors, when you read biography of authors, you see this. Most time, people get noticed after their death. Yes. So sometimes we have this problem of uh, not getting support from critics to to review our works, and reviewing doesn't necessarily mean to praise you. Mm-hmm. Even if there are challenges, you are let them review it because that's how the body of knowledge on our writers will grow. Exactly. And when we don't have that, it's, it's, also, it's also another challenge. So these are some of the, of the challenges. Yes. What is your view around this debate of uh, gender equality? Do you find the debate interesting here in Northern Nigeria? Yeah. Okay. My opinion, okay. I, I, I am for gender equity, okay. not equality. Okay. This idea of uh, the difference. <laughs> okay. uh, equity is about getting what you need. Okay. Equality is about getting equal. And and this is one of the issues you have read, the issue of new ideas, new concepts. This issue of gender. Somebody will sit down somewhere and say this is a new issue of gender equality, feminism, this and that. And, and people will be coerced, will be forced to accept it. And everybody wants to be politically correct. So everybody will join the bandwagon. If I also talk about gender, I'll be recognized by this, by this, by that. But come to look at it. This, all these Western countries where this issue of gender comes from, how many, how much opportunities are women given? You are from history department. If you are a senior lecturer, and the other you have another lady who's a senior lecturer, you got promotion at the same time. Exactly. Are you going to get different salaries? Mm-hmm. You are going Not to get the same salaries. Exactly. But in the United States, if you go to the companies, you will be you will be you will be employed for the same. You will be employed for the same position with you, but you get more than her. All of these are still practice in these countries. And how many of them have produced women leaders? 
Is United States ready for a female president? <laughs> when will they be ready? <laughs> so, so all these issues are issues which are imposed, issue of neocolonialism, new ideas that will come as an issue, this issue of human rights. Now, if you listen to news, everybody is an activist. Everybody is a freedom fighter. At the same time, the kind of uh, thing these people are doing in developing countries and they are being pressed by others, if they do the same in developed countries, they will be tagged and they will be punished. So, so, so these are the issues, like, like in, in environmental sciences, climate change. Now, to us, climate change has become a religion. It is a religion that you don't challenge. You don't challenge religion. You accept. Now, climate change, when you say climate change, is either two issues. Either the world is getting warmer, global warming, which is the, what's being uh, pro, uh, uh, promoted, or the earth is getting cooler. Now, it's either we are moving towards another ice age, or we are moving towards a hotter climate. Now, because some people feel that we must accept climate change, you don't challenge climate change today. If you are a scholar and you challenge climate change, the first thing they will call you is skeptic. You are a climate change skeptic. Number two, they will say uh, over 70% of climate scientists have agreed that the climate is changing and it's due to human activities. It's not a natural phenomenon, it's due to human activities. We must reduce carbon emissions, we must do this, we must do that, we must do that, we must do that. If you challenge it, even people in the, in, 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 in the advanced economies, scholars, when they challenge it, the first thing they will do is they will discredit them, they will start giving them grants, they will start inviting them into conferences, they will blackmail them. So these are the issues. Some people are setting the agenda. And as we said, what is it that in science that you can't question? Anything in science can be questioned. And that is knowledge. So, so these are the, the kind of issues. When you say gender now, the moment you say gender, the first thing people will think about is women. Yeah. But it's not about women. It's, about, it's a social construct about being male or female, how it's socially accepted. How do you, are you presented? How are you seen as a man or as a woman in a society? But when you say gender, the first thing will go is women. Now, even as of now, issue of uh, girl-child education. Now, people are beginning to ask, what about the boy-child? We are spending a lot of money, a lot of emphasis on girl-child. What of the boy-child? Will the girl-child make any progress or do anything without the male, without the male child. So if you want to ask people to, to go to school, ask children, all children to go to school. Affirmative action. But even universities are saying, from now on, all our, 30% uh, of all our appointments are going to be female. Because we want to promote female education. All this, all this, all that. So this uh, issue of gender has a lot of, uh, Entry cases, and uh, to me, as I said, I believe in equity. Uh, whatever uh, women need, they should be given, but not equality, because we are not born equal. We are not socially equal. There are a lot of things that can count, and 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 even those even feminists, they if you go to the countries where all these ideas are born, 
They don't impose the idea. They don't accept the ideas. Yes. That is the issue. Yes. And uh, what are you doing in the Association of Nigerian Authors to revive reading culture, especially among the younger ones? Well, we have we have done a lot and we have achieved a lot in that direction because uh, in the Association of Nigerian Authors, we established a branch in in Kano, active branch in 1995, and uh, we have played a significant role in in promoting modern horse novel, which uh, has created a lot of uh, uh, impacts on reading because. Uh, at least house of books, people read house of books. Okay. Uh, people, they are, they are number one, our, our major contribution was in uh, training the authors, improving their writing quality and so on and so forth. So they write the, the good writing and so on. And also, uh, often, uh, from time to time, we organize uh, uh, Remote reading with school, we invite schools. We have uh, monthly reading uh, meetings, one for Hausa, one for English. But one important thing is uh, how we are able to, to support uh, modern literary activities in Kano, and uh, which has affected all, all other parts of the country. But Hausa books, uh, from a document I read sometimes uh, by Macmillan, Hausa is the growth. Uh, the fastest growing literary language in Africa. People have produced many books, both male and female. And now see the interesting thing. Because most of the people who read the books are young people and the female and women. Now, because of that, a lot of women learn how to read and write. Because they listen to the stories on the radio, but they want to see, they don't want to wait. Exactly. So they have to go and learn how to do a write a Roman script so that they can read the book before they finish reading it in the radio. But also, they also will tell their own stories. And at some point, women writers rose to prominence in house literature. At some point, there was a time, I can't remember the exact period, but this is uh, around 2000, and first quarter or second quarter of 2000, of the millennium, um, when majority of the readers decide to read books written by women because they said women knows a woman knows a woman's problem so when a woman writes she's talking to the other woman so i know i know a friend of mine who wrote a book and put his wife's name so that the book can be bought by by the reader for the person yes and, and it works <laughs> so so uh, 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 a lot of books have been produced, and uh, we are happy that uh, people read house books. In fact, I can tell you, I s my house books uh, sell much much better than my English books. Yeah, yes. When I publish a house book, it will finish. It will be bought. Mostly people buy it. But for English books, some most of the time I give it free. Mm. <laughs> so so. There is this uh, women, women. Women have contributed in, and at some point, <coughs> one woman have started becoming important in Hausa literary movement. Some of them begin to have challenges from their husbands. Some husbands are feeling that if my woman become 
famous, she becomes known, she will be more influential, she she's going to perceive by authority and others. So that some women started having that problem. But women are wise. So what they started doing was when they write their book, they put their name, they will now put Mrs. They will write the husband's name okay. so that they can become famous. Yes. So, <laughs> so that has helped in addressing some of these challenges. Okay. And most of the men, when they see that Mrs. Q and Q, for example, yeah. you'll be happy that my this is just my wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 Okay. yes. Uh, lastly, with okay. the current happenings in the country, mm. uh, do you think Nigeria's military is negotiable or non negotiable? To me, it's negotiable. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, over this uh, years, particularly from um, the nine, late 90s, there are a lot of this agitation about uh, issues. It started with resource control, that people want to control their resources because they feel that other parts of the country who don't have the resources are just getting free money. Now, uh, much later, there are also um, agitations for separation. For example, the, the Biafra issue started with Masov, with many others, and now uh, IPOD, who are now becoming more uh, very active. And then the Odudua and, and many others. Most of it from the southeast and also from the southwest. People of the Niger Delta, we have not we have not had them yet talking about they want to leave Nigeria. People from the northwest, from the northeast, from the north central have not been talking about they want to leave Nigeria. And uh, uh, to me, uh, this is something that uh, Nigerians should uh, come, sit down, and discuss it. There are a number of things that people don't understand because many people assume that. Uh, they are being um, slowed down by other parts of the country. And they think that if they are left alone, they will be able to, to progress faster because they assume they have some advantages that other parts of the country don't have. For instance, the Southwest feel that they, have, they, have, they are more educated than all other parts of the country. They also have uh, the ports. So if, if the country, they become independent, it's likely that they, they can develop faster. Uh, people of Biafra, uh, to me, their, their assumption of uh, independence is more to, they want uh, uh, the South South to be part of Biafra so that they will, they will get the oil because they are, they are more dominant, they are more educated, they will be able to to dominate the people in the South South that they have done in the past. So with, the, with those resources, they will be able to, to do much. Now, one thing that people don't uh, look at is the implication of uh, this separation. Now, Lagos, all the factories, most factories in Nigeria are in the Southwest. Where is the market for the, for the produce they produce? It's in the other parts of the country that don't produce. Uh, the oil-rich uh, parts of the Nigeria. Now, when Nigeria separates, decides, okay, we are going to go on our own ways, 
do they think that the oil resources are going to be for, for them alone? There are going to be assets and liabilities. Every part will get an asset from what was developed with the name of the country and will get the liabilities, all the loans that we have been collecting, everybody will get his own share. But with the way things are going, I think uh, we can sit down and see if we want to stay together, if we want to part of our ways. You see, if the 1966 coup has not taken place, probably by now, these regions will have been on their own. The North will have been on its own. The Southwest and probably the Midwest will have been on their own. The Southeast will have been on their own. Because at, at that time, the way it started, every region is relatively independent and, and, and people are, work, are, are competing with the other regions in terms of productivity and other things. And if the regions have continued by now, probably everybody will have been on its own. But the 1966 coup and the creation of states has complicated the issue. Yes. But to me, uh, Instead of uh, going to another civil war, I think it's better we sit down, we discuss the issue, and if we want to leave, let everybody go his way. It's better for the country uh, because at least there will be peace for some time. <laughs> exactly. And then after that period of peace and jubilation, then every country will now face its own problems. Southwest. Will now all these issues that are buried, the who is the original Yoruba, the Ijobi Yoruba, the other Yoruba, they will all come up. Now, because they have no northerners, no Easterners to fight, it will be within their own. They will know how to handle their issues. Even the Igbos, if say just the Biafra, just the, the southeast, even Igbo, there are a lot of cult lines. The northern Igbos who are not seen as real core Igbos and the core Igbos and others. And then all this uh, clan, class system, they will also emerge. They will know how to handle their issues. In the Niger Delta, they will know how to handle their crisis, the inter-tribal ethnic crisis. Now, in the North, if we happen to, to be the same, let's say the North, Central, the North, the North, the okay, we want to be in the same country, then they also have their own challenges issue of uh, majority, minority, issue of religion, we have to address those issues. But if uh, there are leaders, good leaders in each of the region, I think each region has sufficient resources. Because another part of the country that is looked at as, uh, as poor, even in agriculture, we make it. Agriculture, mineral resources. But what is needed is the right mindset, and the right leaders. But but to me, it's, 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 it's negotiable. Let us, uh, let, let us sit down, let us discuss, and say, okay, if we want to stay together, we have to do this and that. If we are not ready to do this and that, then we could call for, uh, what do they call it, uh, referendum. When you call for referendum, now that is why you will see whether people really want to be in another country. Now, the Southeast, a lot, they have most of their investments outside their region. Now, what do you think is going to happen when they say we have our own country? Some of them assume that they are still going to be allowed 
to have full uh, rights like the citizens serve in the one that will not happen exactly. even if it will happen it will take time but in the beginning everybody have to go they will have to option their exactly. investments for others to buy like what happened in the civil war at least in the north most of their properties are very open to them but in other parts of the country they are not very open to them so it's better because there is a lot of uh, misinformation and uh, people are being misled so so it's better for for the government to start thinking about this referendum so that let everybody use his wisdom to handle his problems yes 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 thank you very much for this wonderful interview <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Africa Knows podcast. If you want to know more, visit africanose.eu and we'll talk to you again soon.